You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everyone, to Locked On Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. As you wake up this Thursday, the bad news is that the Rockets do not have another basketball game for another eight days. After last night's game, the Rockets are at the All-Star break, not playing again until next Friday, so that's eight consecutive days with no basketball. The good news, the Rockets head into it on a high 44-13 after their win 191 on Wednesday night over the Kings, and more importantly, that win coupled with a Golden State loss later Wednesday night at Portland puts the Rockets as the undisputed number one in the Western Conference at the All-Star break. So while it's a downer that the Rockets do not have a game for a while, the good news is that every day you wake up for a while, the Rockets are going to have the best record in the NBA and be in position for home court throughout the playoffs. So if you're not going to play for a while, at least you can feel pretty good about the team and where they're at. Last night's win, 191 over the Kings, representing their 10th in a row, 14 of 15 since the return of James Harden, 17 and 2 in their last 19. Wasn't anything to write home about, which you wouldn't expect it to be. Night two of a brutal road back-to-back, Minnesota and then Houston. No Trevor Ariza, as expected, with the hamstring. No Eric Gordon with a bump knee. Chris Paul did not play the end of the game after bruising his hand. None of those considered serious. But at the same time, a lot of headwinds between the fatigue and then a new wave of injuries. Also the debut of Joe Johnson. A lot of new wrinkles to this. Ultimately, the Rockets not at their best, but they were able to dig deep and find a way late in the game. Just enough James Harden down the stretch to get that win. It's now their second winning streak of 10 or more games this season. Just a phenomenal run by the Rockets. And folks, just imagine after that Detroit loss in early January, when the Rockets looked almost listless, disinterested, lacking talent in the absence of James Harden, and not knowing when he would get back. Imagine if someone had told you then that the Rockets would be on the verge of going 17-2 and in their last 19 games before the All-Star break. You probably would have thought they were insane, but yet that's exactly what has happened. Credit to James Harden for obviously getting back much sooner than expected from the grade 2 hamstring strain, and of course the remainder of the Rockets that have filled in so admirably, not just with the Harden injury, but with so many others that have happened throughout this year. And now you have a team that, with the additions of Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright, appears to be literally 12 deep. We'll discuss the Kings game, the debuts and first days at Toyota Center for Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright, who didn't play throughout the program. But in segment one, I want to start off with the bigger picture, which is the importance of that Golden State loss and the Rockets going into the All-Star break with the league's best record. The Rockets 44-13, and the Warriors 44-14. and And just from a strict math perspective, that's a big deal. The Rockets, even though they're a half game up in the standings, it's a game up with the tiebreaker in the all-important loss column. As I've said before, the loss column is what you should focus on. You're talking about two teams that are dominant when over 75% of their games. You focus on the loss column because those are much more rare. Generally, you should assume wins until proven otherwise. So it's not just the Rockets are up a half game. They're really up a full game with the tiebreaker. That's a big deal because out of the All-Star break, yes, the Rockets will be rested. Yes, they'll have their rotation pieces all back 
from injury. But folks, the schedule is going to get a lot tougher. This week, the Rockets were generally able to cruise into the break two of the three games, although it was the tough back-to-back scenario. But home against Dallas, home against Sacramento, those are not especially good teams. Well, out of the break, your first eight games, Minnesota, Denver, Utah, the Clippers, Boston, the Thunder, Milwaukee, and Toronto. That's eight teams all in the playoff mix. The Jazz, the, the one team that isn't in the playoffs at the end of the day, I believe are on an 11-game winning streak. Uh, Toronto, even Oklahoma City, the Celtics, you could say all of those are legitimate contenders. So it's going to be a brutal stretch. And thankfully, because of that Warriors loss, the Rockets don't just go in at tied. They go in it with a game lead in the loss column. So they do have a little bit of a buffer as they go into this final 25-game stretch of the season. So yes, the schedule is about to get harder, but now you go into it not just tied in the loss column or within striking distance, but you actually have a little bit of buffer. Not much, but a little bit. And that in and of itself is a big thing just for the X's and O's of can the Rockets actually do this over the final 25 games. By the way, even though it's the All-Star break, I hate when people act like it's the first half and second half of the year. No, at 57 games, the Rockets are nearly three quarters of the way through the season. So no, this is far more than just half a season of basketball. This is nearly three quarters and the Rockets are the best team in the NBA. This is a very legitimate sample size and it says a lot. But in terms of them actually navigating through the final 82 and getting home court advantage throughout the playoffs, folks, it's not going to be easy, but this does give you a bit of buffer one game with the tiebreaker as the Rockets get ready for a stretch out of the All-Star break. It's going to be a lot more difficult than two of the past three games, home against Dallas and Sacramento, uh, that they played this week. I guess the good news is that it seems like the Rockets, if anything, played better when they face the stronger competition, as evidenced by the 18-point win and the 31-point in-game turnaround they had in Minnesota. If anything, they seem kind of bored by the Dallas and Sacramento games. I'm sure there was some fatigue in there, too. But you can certainly mount a case that what the Rockets have done of late might position them better to bring their A game against top-of-the-line competition. We'll have to wait and see on that, because it's not going to happen for at least eight more days, because it's not until next Friday, the 23rd, the Rockets are back in action home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. What's interesting to me about this Golden State loss, though, more than just this season and getting to the number one, because clearly that's the focus, but beyond that, boy, there are going to be some great narratives that I think this spins over the next week. We'll start with James Harden. We know Chris Paul should be an all-star. There's a few political reasons why he's not, most notably at 32 years old and having missed 15 games or so. It's just an easier excuse for voters to leave Chris Paul off than someone else who is younger or maybe hasn't missed games. Even if Chris deserves it, and I think by the team's record, his overall impact, he certainly does, it's just easier to justify if someone asks you why you left off Chris Paul as opposed to, say, someone like Damian Lillard. That doesn't make it right. It just is what it is. But the reality is that the Rockets do go into the All-Star game with just one All-Star. The Warriors have four. And yet the Rockets, with one All-Star, have a better record than the team that enters the All-Star game with four. So think about that, and as you're going to see a lot of columns written about the MVP race, where things are at over the next week, I don't think you can get much more of an endorsement for James Harden than that. That James Harden's team, with him as the only All-Star, is ahead in the standings of the team with four, their biggest competition. That narrative writes itself. So in terms of the James Harden MVP race, I think that's over at this point. I know LeBron and Steph Curry. You'll see once in a while one of the hot take shows says, oh, are they getting back in the mix because they have to have something to quote-unquote debate. But neither of those guys has the narrative that Russell Westbrook did last year in terms of the human interest, in terms of where they are in their careers, the Durant leaving 
factor. Even though I believe Harden had the award over Westbrook for most of the year last year, there was always a case you could mount to where Westbrook could get enough support at the last minute that he could turn it. And ultimately, that's what he did in the final three weeks of the season. I don't really see that happening this year with LeBron James or Steph Curry, the two closest challengers to the Rockets. And if you had any doubt about that, well, just think about the narrative that this is for James Harden going into the All-Star break. His team with one All-Star having a better record than the team with four. So for James individually, that's great. But for the Rockets as a whole, certainly this is about not just James. Well, now the MVP, assuming James finally wins it this year, would be great in terms of boosting his stature around the league. But the Rockets are about team accomplishments. They want to win a ring this year, and they are positioned to do that. Beyond just James Harden and the MVP race and any offshoots from that, think about what this says about the Rockets as a whole, that they go into the All-Star break, which, as we said, nearly three-quarters of the way through the season, with a better record than the vaunted Golden State Warriors, and they have taken two of the three meetings head-to-head. That is massive for the perception of the Rockets as a legitimate contender, and that's not just for this season, but down the line, pursuing LeBron James, or anything else they want to do this summer. You better believe that when the NBA gets together in Los Angeles this weekend, the Rockets are going to be on the tips of everyone's tongue. Everyone is taking note of what this team is doing. And while they've always been there regardless, yes, it is eye-popping to see them in the number one spot with the league's best record. People are going to take notice of that. It's a great time for it because with the All-Star Game in Los Angeles, of course the heavy hitters are going to be there in terms of the league's marquee players, their representation. But folks, Los Angeles is essentially the capital city of the NBA. Even the big guys like Chris Paul that are not in the All-Star Game, most of them have homes there. So I would venture a guess that I would say 75% or more of the heavy hitters in the NBA, meaning star players, their representation, their affiliations. Everyone is going to be in LA this weekend and the Rockets, it's a heck of a time for them to jump into that number one spot because people are going to be getting together. They are going to have conversations whether we know about them or not. And for the Rockets to be this hot on a 10 game winning streak, 44 and 13, the league's best record. Yes, it says a lot. It is a great time for the Rockets going into the All-Star break to have this much buzz. And the buzz factor matters because you go back last year in terms of their acquisition of Chris Paul, their near acquisition of Carmelo Anthony, as we have learned throughout the months since that deal got finalized in late June, that deal was in the works far before we ever knew about it or even the media knew about it. James Harden, according to the LA Times, was recruiting Chris Paul during the season. We've had reports that that final Rockets-Clippers game in April, Harden was asking him, what are you going to do, referring to his free agency, on the court. Even though the Rockets had about as sour of an end to the season as you could come up with last year, losing by 40 in an elimination game to San Antonio, they had built up so much goodwill through that 55-win regular season when expectations were muted that the legwork to get Chris Paul to Houston and also Carmelo Anthony to do everything he could to get to Houston, I've reported on this show before that as early as April, and maybe even early as that, but definitely by April, I should say, Carmelo Anthony was telling folks that Houston was an option for him. So these recruitments, we might not know about them from the media until closer to free agency when the hot stove kicks into gear for the NBA. But in most cases, they go back months and conversations are being had now and they certainly will be had this weekend. So the Rockets to be as great as they are at the moment, 44-13 and 13 and number one in the West, that puts them at peak desirability. And certainly folks have noticed that the first two buyouts, the big dominoes, Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright, 
each picked the Rockets, and those were the first two that really had, I, I would say, uh, that were up for grabs for anyone. I know Greg Monroe was a buyout before that, but that was a little different. Being a younger player, he was all about the money, and the Celtics were able to give him that with the Gordon Hayward um, injury exception. Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright were the first two classic veterans with unlimited options. For both of them to pick Houston, for Houston to go in 44-13, and 13, Houston is a hot destination as the NBA descends on Los Angeles this weekend for all-star festivities and all the related parties, everything else going into that. And yes, that matters, just like James Harden being the undisputed frontrunner far and away at this point for the league's MVP award. That stuff matters. I'm not saying it's okay if the Rockets come up short in the postseason. I don't anticipate them doing that. And for the Rockets, that's all they're worried about is winning basketball games. But what I'm telling you about just me to you guys as people who follow this team, no matter what happens, even the worst case scenario, think about what happened in the playoffs last year, even in that environment, it still did not override conversations that had already taken place and had been taking place for months on the backs of how the Rockets performed in the regular season. The Rockets had already transformed their image at this time last year, and even that sour end in the playoffs was not enough to override that because it's a much longer process. A lot, a lot of fans think it's just a matter of a few meetings in late June, early July, whatever it may be, and that's how it gets framed. But in reality, this is a courtship that goes on weeks, months, sometimes even years in the case of LeBron James and Kevin Durant, some of the more high-profile recruitments that are out there. So for the Rockets to go into the All-Star break with this kind of momentum around the league, yes, it's a big deal. Certainly short-term, they want to win a championship this year. Getting the one seed in home court throughout the playoffs is the best way to do that. They're up a game on the Warriors with the tiebreakers. So that gives them a little bit of a buffer. That's great. But beyond that, in terms of what it says about James Harden's MVP candidacy and his lock frontrunner status at the moment, in terms of what it says about the Rockets as a team, what they have built in Houston this year, the desirability that they are uh, as a destination is evidenced by the Joe Johnson, Brandon Wright decisions, now having a better record than the Warriors, taking two out of three. You could not put a better buzz factor behind this franchise as they go into All-Star Weekend. And I didn't even mention, of course, in addition to the game itself, you have stuff like the three-point shootout, which Eric Gordon will be in, the dump contest, the skills challenge. point is, it's NBA royalty. They're all going to be in Los Angeles this weekend. And for guys with options such as LeBron James and anybody else out there, you better believe that the Rockets are about as attractive as it gets. And yes, that stuff matters. Again, just look back to last year when we know that the the wheels were in motion for Chris Paul to Houston, ultimately Carmelo Anthony as well. Those were in motion all the way back into the regular season, certainly in April, maybe before that, and even a sour end of the playoffs, even about the worst case scenario you could come up with in terms of losing by 40 in an elimination game was not enough to offset the momentum that had already built. So in terms of big picture beyond this season, luring LeBron James, anything else the Rockets want to do, yeah, they want to win a championship. That's the goal. But folks, this stuff matters. Even if you fall short, then being in the position you are now, that can still benefit you down the line. That's not meant to be a silver lining because with a team as good as the Rockets are now, it's championship or bust. That's how the guys in that locker room are approaching it, and that's how they should approach it. But I'm just telling you, between those of us that are not on the court following the Rockets, this franchise has done a heck of a lot for itself already in terms of improving its long-term positioning around the league and heading into the All-Star game this weekend, I can think of no better time than right now for the Rockets to finally ascend into that number one spot in the NBA with the league's best record at 44-13. and 13. 
better than even the Golden State Warriors, now at 44 and 14. So that's the big picture. Let's turn it to not just the macro, but the micro, which is what we do here at Locked on Rockets, your home for daily commentary on the Rockets. And let's talk about last night's game, the 191 win that the Rockets had over the Sacramento Kings at home at Toyota Center to improve the record, as we said, to 44-13 and and extend the winning streak to 10 in a row. Certainly not a sexy result, but you wouldn't expect it to be. Keep in mind, this is the second back-to-back for the Rockets in a week both with brutal plane flights in the middle. Last week, Brooklyn to Miami, getting in at 4 a.m. to their hotel in Miami. The one upside in this case, going from Minnesota to Houston to get to sleep in their own beds. But folks, getting on a plane flight after a 7.30 game in Minnesota, getting back late at night to Houston and then playing the game the next night, I don't care if the Sacramento Kings aren't a good team at 18 and 39. They're a team of professionals. And for the Rockets, getting in that late, being on limited sleep, also being on the verge of the All-Star break, it was the epitome of a trap game. And to the extent the Rockets could control it, they did. There were some tired legs. The Rockets went from making 22 threes, nearly 48% on Tuesday night Minnesota, including a record-setting 10 in the fourth quarter, to just 14 on 49 attempts on Wednesday night. That's below 29% from the field. So there were definitely some tired legs. James Harden led the way, 28 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. Just one rebound and one assist from a good game. I'm kidding. I'm rolling my eyes when I say that. But James, 7 of 19 from the field, 9 after he was 10 of 20. The efficiency dipped a little bit, but James did make shots late in the game when it seemed like the Rockets in the second half were especially sluggish. The Rockets took control of the game. They outscored the Kings 35 to 20 in the second quarter, but they had only 13 points in the third quarter, took scoring 25 in the fourth just to get to 100 for the game. And for the a Rockets team that's usually uh, above 110 with ease, you could certainly see the tired legs, especially in the second half. Mentioned 17 in the third quarter, but Harden, even though he was inefficient, uh, he made a couple of big shots late, including a dagger three with a couple of minutes left to do just enough for the Rockets, who Uh, Again, 100 points after averaging over 114 through these first 57 games of the year. Not what you expect, but when you consider the limitations, we mentioned no Eric Gordon after bumping knees in Minnesota, no Trevor Ariza with the hamstring, and no Chris Paul for the final seven minutes of the game bruised his hand. Chris on the night was efficient, had 19 points, 7 assists on 6 of 11 shooting, did not finish the game because the Rockets were being cautious with that bruised hand. He didn't even have ice or a wrap on it in the locker room after the game, so I certainly don't think it's something they're worried about long term. But this is a situation where you're always going to be cautious, and when I say cautious, I mean extra cautious, right before the All-Star break, especially if you're playing a Sacramento team that you feel like that you should be able to kind of grind out a win against no matter what. But in this case, with Trevor Ariza with the hamstring, Eric Gordon with the bump knees, and eventually Chris with the bruised hand, you know that if you get through this game without pushing them, you have a built-in nine days of rest in addition to this game. Now, if it's just one general game out of 82, and say you have another game in a couple of nights, there's a good shot that at least Ariza, maybe Gordon as well, play. We heard from Mike D'Antoni before the game. Trevor, he's out there shooting. He probably could have played. But when you have that built-in rest time, you might as well use it because it's a rare opportunity to actually let the injury heal. Because most of these muscular things, they never fully heal. The players just get used to them. Maybe they fade over a very prolonged period of time. But in this case, playing 
the Kings the night before the All-Star break and these eight consecutive days off that the Rockets are now in, teams are going to be extra cautious with that because it's an opportunity to actually let the injuries heal. And it seems counterintuitive. You'd say, hey, well, if they're going to be this time off, why don't you push them? Well, it kind of works the other way because if you have any injury at all, then yeah, it's an ideal time to sit so that those things could actually heal up. So that's why you didn't see Chris finish the game. That's why Trevor Ariza, Eric Gordon, guys with just minor bumps, they did not play. And Joe Johnson, who we learned after the game, did not even anticipate playing when he last spoke with the Rockets a day or so ago, ended up playing 31 minutes. We'll talk about that in the final segment of the show, the trust that Mike D'Antoni had in Joe Johnson on his first day in Houston. But in general, the Rockets, Wednesday night, it wasn't sexy. They were limited by injuries, but they got it done. James Harden, there was a certain maturity, and he was a team best, plus 14 in his 35 minutes. Shared that with Luke Bamute, who had 11 points, 4 of 9 from the field, and Clint Capella, who had a nice double-double, 13 and 11 in his 33 minutes. Both Luke and Clint were plus 14, tied with James for the lead on the team in the plus-minus. P.J. Tucker, it was an under-the-radar 10-7 and seven, uh, game for him in 32 minutes, but he had a couple of big threes, and it just seemed in the fourth quarter, he had a couple of buckets, including one off the dribble, in which he was essentially, it, it felt like willing the Rockets to this game. It was one, the Kings, not an especially veteran team, Vince Carter being an obvious exception, but generally a very young Kings team. It felt like a classic veteran game. P.J. Tucker, he wanted it, and even making... He only took two shots inside the arc, but he made them both, including a tough drive, and it just felt like one, a character win, in which the Rockets knew they did not have their A game. We mentioned shooting just 14 of 49, below 29% from behind the arc, but the Rockets, they found a way to dig deep when it really mattered and ultimately got the win 191 over the Kings. One little thing that I think the Rockets did well was rebound. Now, For the game, it was 48-48. The Rockets and Kings played to a draw. But the Kings, they're actually, while they're not a very good team, they are a fairly big team. Guys like Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufas in the middle. And the Rockets went into this. Maybe there's some tired legs. We mentioned all the back-to-backs, getting ready for the All-Star break, yada, yada. They were out-rebounded in Minnesota on Tuesday. They were out-rebounded by 10 on Sunday against the Mavs, 52-42, in which it felt like the Mavs just crushed the offensive glass. A Mavs team that entering the game was one of the worst in the league. So you did see some slippage from the Rockets of late. I think that maybe reflects all the games they played, a few of the injuries. But against the Kings, they battled to a draw. But more importantly, you saw some contribution. Ryan Anderson in 21 minutes off the bench, eight rebounds. He didn't shoot nearly as well as he did in Minnesota when he had six of ten threes, shot just three of nine. But Ryan off the bench in 21 minutes, eight rebounds. That's great efficiency. Shows he's willing to throw his body around. We mentioned P.J. Tucker had seven rebounds in his 32 minutes. None of those are banner nights, but it helps Clint Capella. It gives him some relief up front as another option to get some of those longer rebounds. James Harden, we mentioned he almost had the triple-double. He had nine rebounds. So between Ryan Anderson, James Harden, and P.J. Tucker, that's three guys that averaged eight rebounds, and Ryan only played 21 minutes. He didn't even get starters-level minutes to give you that production. So you are getting Clint Capella some help on the boards, and that's something he's badly needed this week. Clint has still been there, but the question is, can he get enough support uh, from... From other guys in this lineup, I think maybe the extra minutes, we've mentioned P.J. and Luke having to be extended, maybe overextended a little bit in the absence of Trevor Reza. We know the workload that James Harden has been through this year, but maybe by putting Ryan Anderson off the bench, who also you're putting him against lesser power forwards, maybe it makes him a tiny bit easier for him to 
get rebounds that he might not otherwise be in a position to get if he's in the starting lineup against starters. There's a lot of plausible reasons, but the bottom line is the Rockets did rebound better on Wednesday night, and that was a big part of how they grinded because they didn't have their A game. We mentioned 14 of 49. They couldn't throw it in the ocean. It felt like from three off the bench. That's where you really saw some slippage. Um, Ryan was two of seven behind the arc. Joe Johnson, one of five. Gerald Green, 0 of four. Even in the starting lineup, Chris Paul was three of seven, but he was your only true difference maker there. James Harden was five of... 15, P.J. Tucker, 2 of 6, Luke Babute, 1 of 5, all three of those guys, 33% or worse, as we mentioned, the Rockets as a team, 14 of 49, didn't have their A game, you wouldn't expect it, they've had a ton of games over the past week, second end of a back-to-back, but when your threes are not falling, you've got to find other ways to get buckets just to survive in advance, which is a phrase we mentioned a lot with the Rockets kind of withstanding their injuries to this point in the season. And in addition to the injuries, then you throw in the back-to-back all the crazy amount of games and the mileage that the Rockets have had. And when I say mileage, I don't just mean the typical, stereotypical um, floor burn, the minutes, but also literal plane mileage, how much their bodies have been through. It's been a very busy week. And when that happens and you aren't able to throw in 22 threes and 10 in the fourth quarter the way they did on Tuesday in Minnesota, you've got to do some of the little things with regards to getting a loose ball, hustling, making the extra pass to make sure that even against a bad Kings team, there's they're professionals. And when you're the Rockets, now the best team in the NBA by record, you are going to get everyone's best shot. The Kings, not a good team, but they certainly went out there and tried. But the Rockets did just enough to get the win 100-91. Even if their tanks were on empty, the good news is that, well, now they have eight days off. And so by the time you next see them Friday night, also a home game, but a week from Friday against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the uh, tank on empty issues should certainly be resolved, not just for the guys who played in Wednesday night's game against the Kings, but also the return of Trevor Ariza and Eric Gordon, who I certainly expect to be back in the lineup by the next time we see the Rockets next week. Now for the final segment of the show, I do want to discuss the debut of Joe Johnson, also Brandon Wright. If you haven't heard their initial comments, go to our website, LockdownRockets.com. They did pregame interviews with the media. Very telling, by the way, that there wasn't even a team that was close on either of those two. Joe Johnson said that Chris Paul was one of the first people to reach out to him after he secured his release. Brandon Wright said Houston was head and shoulders above the competition. That goes into what we said in the first segment about the desirability of Houston as a destination. This is what you have always wanted, what Daryl Morey has strived for to have Houston as an it team. Because when Houston is an it team, boy, it's so easy to fill out your rotation because there are so many places that you can turn. But in terms of the actual product on the floor on Wednesday night, fascinating that Joe Johnson played 31 minutes in his first game. Now that's Inflated a little bit due to the absences of Eric Gordon and Trevor Ariza. I certainly would not expect him to play 31 minutes every night. But without even a practice, that's how much Mike D'Antoni trusts him. That's something he said after the game. He said, I trust you. And if you followed Mike D'Antoni for a while, you know that word trust. That means everything. Because there have been lots of guys here. Go back to the KJ McDaniels factor last year when there was so much positive press in the preseason. People thought, oh, this is the perfect 3 and D, what they need. But yet the trust was never there. Joe Johnson, I know he's 36 years old, but the fact that Mike D'Antoni has his trust, that's going to make it so much easier for him to get minutes. And even on day one, he's getting more minutes than Gerald Green, who played 22. Thought that was interesting. Now, the results, I understand. Two of nine from the field, did have nine points, got to the line four times, made all of those, also had a big three in the second half at a key point. But 
Nine points, three rebounds, two of nine from the field. That's not anything to write home about. But folks, as I said, when the Rockets signed Joe Johnson, generally I would not worry about the shooting numbers. Those are going to come around. As we mentioned, I know some of you will say, well, Ben, isn't he shooting like 27% from three this year? Isn't that a concern? Well, folks, I'll go through it quickly. If you want to further in depth, go back to our Joe Johnson episodes from last year. But the reason Joe Johnson's season-long numbers are poor is because he started the season in his first 11 games shooting below 8% from three because he had a serious injury to his shooting wrist, one that forced him to miss six weeks of playing time. That would affect anyone, regardless of age. That's very real. In his last 21 games before joining the Rockets, he was shooting almost 45% from the field and over 36% from three. He is going to be fine as a shooter. I watched him warm up before the game. That is there. Just look on the other sideline Wednesday night, the Kings with a 41-year-old Vince Carter. The shooting stroke is the last thing to go. What you typically see if someone is washed, or whatever you want to call it, if they're suffering the effects of age, their defense slips, they're not able to move their feet, they're not able to create their own shot. Honestly, I think that's why he played 31 minutes. I thought his defense looked pretty sound. I thought he moved the ball well. I thought he showed some springs in his rebounds. Essentially, he did everything well, I thought, except for make the shots. And those will eventually come. I I won't say it's never happened, but it is extremely rare that a person's jump shot is the first thing to go. What typically happens, you see them take fewer two-pointers, they stop driving as much. Now, maybe the jump shot fails because they're not able to be as much of a threat on the drive, so defenders are able to be more aggressive in contesting them on the perimeter, knowing they don't have to respect them as a penetrator. That might be a viable theory, but it's very rare that even for a guy with the mileage of Joe Johnson, that you just see him suddenly forget how to shoot. It can be a byproduct of other things, but generally, you put them out there, hell, you can throw guys out there in their 40s, and they can still make open shots, as evidenced by Vince Carter being an extreme example of that, still doing it at the NBA level, even at 41 years old. So, if the main problem with Joe Johnson is his shooting percentage, but everything else looks fine, I'm not going to worry about it. And to me, I thought everything else looked fine, and so did Mike D'Antoni, because he played in 31 minutes, even without a practice. Again, I'm not saying that you can't take anything out of the shooting numbers. If there's an injury, certainly, as what happened earlier this year, can be reflective of that. Also, if you see, as we mentioned, certain deficiencies that are not shooting, then maybe it can trickle down to the shooting numbers, as we said, because defenders don't have to respect him as much. But what I saw on the floor against the Kings was a guy, he had springs, he made good passes, I thought he moved well, I thought he looked confident in the system. Did a lot of very good things. Just unfortunately missed some open shots. That happens sometimes. Certainly it's been a very logistically busy week for him with everything he's been going through with his contract situations. Getting to Houston, I'm sure shopping for a new place. Inking the contract just a couple hours before the game. There's been a lot of new teammates for him to meet. New everything. So maybe there's just some fatigue. Maybe it's just sheer randomness. Everybody has an occasional two for nine game. But in general, I thought he looked good other than the shooting. And... If shooting is your concern, then in general, uh, I don't think you should be concerned because that's going to sort itself out. Ultimately, I thought the, the most important thing, A, the Rockets got the win, and B, Joe Johnson played 31 minutes in it, which shows you the high degree of trust that Mike D'Antoni has in him, and maybe that makes it all the easier for him to get minutes down the stretch of this season. Brandon Wright did not play, which I thought was interesting because Nene was out on the second end of a back-to-back Tarek Black, however, got the backup center minutes. If there's one thing that we have learned through the past week, it's that the Rockets and Mike D'Antoni have a higher opinion of Tarek Black than many of us, myself included, 
thought they did. I thought he'd be the easy release, especially with the Rockets showing some hesitation to release Troy Williams to free up the roster spot for Joe Johnson. As it turned out, the Rockets went back and did end up releasing Troy Williams after all. It's a partial guarantee, although he could get claimed. Stay tuned. And maybe if he's claimed, you don't have any, not even the partial guarantee in dead money. If he gets claimed, the Rockets would not have any um, cap hit at all. So stay tuned. I think we'll find out on Friday. That's when Troy would presumably uh, clear waivers if he is not claimed. So the Rockets, they've had a lot of scenarios. And from a math standpoint, Tarek would have been the easy choice to send out but even with Nay unavailable, even with Brandon Wright here and he says he's healthy, Tarek Black still played 11 minutes. I think that shows the trust that Mike D'Antoni has in him as a defensive player. And it, it shows the value that they have in him, which even though maybe he's been a little bit of a disappointment relative to summer expectations when he was signed with the biannual exception, just over $3 billion. At the same time, while it's not even going to be a clear path to a roster spot, for Tarek when everybody is active and clicking in the system. At the same time, the Rockets do have some trust in him. And I think that was on full display that even without Nene, the Rockets did not put Brandon Wright out there. They did put Joe Johnson out there, but I think maybe that's because Joe has prior experience in the Mike D'Antoni system. We mentioned the trust factor, et cetera, et cetera. Beyond just Wednesday's game, though, because certainly these are first impressions and it's one game out of 82, yada, yada. The other interesting thing, talking to them, as I said, you can hear their full comments at LockedOnRockets.com. We've got the story up with uh, full interviews from both of those players, was how confident that each of them, including Brandon, was in getting minutes. Because certainly now the Rockets have their original nine-man rotation, plus Gerald Green, plus Joe Johnson, plus Brandon Wright, and that's not even mentioning Tarek Block. So you're going to have a full, win-healthy 12-man roster, and it's impossible, barring a 30-point blowout, to play 12 players. So there's got to be someone getting the short end of the stick. And D'Antoni said before the game that, you know, he gave the new guys the worst-case scenario. I, there's no guaranteed minutes. Look at who you're competing with. Both Cho and Brandon, however, especially Brandon, were pretty confident in their statements to media that they would get on the court. And I think that's good because certainly you want players to be confident. You don't get to be among the best in the world at what you do without being confident in yourself. But boy, it's going to be a battle, and Mike D'Antoni mentioned in his comments that he wants guys to see the bigger picture, even if someone doesn't play, if the team is winning, which again, 44-13, and 13, winners of 10 in a row, they're doing that. But it goes to show you that down the stretch of the year, I think ultimately the winning culture is going to trump all, but it's going to be fascinating because all 12 guys on that roster, including the veterans that they have just signed, they are expecting to play. They all think that they deserve minutes, and... At some point, it may not be the same guys every night. You may mix and match depending on matchups, playing the hot hand, et cetera, et cetera. But it's going to be dicey for Mike D'Antoni to, to navigate because for the first time in his tenure in Houston, this is a guy who's going to have 12 players all expecting to play. This is a coach over the balance of his career that is known as being on the short end in terms of rotations relative to the average. We know last year he preferred the eight-man rotation, uh, even at times in the playoffs last year, went to a seven-man rotation. Well, now I'd say at a bare minimum, you're going to be at nine. There are some games where it might even be justified in playing uh, 10. I won't say 11 or 12. That's a little too extreme. But the point is, I think it hope, and so do the Rockets, the winning culture is going to trump all. But it's going to be fascinating to watch because these two guys, they're proven veterans. They're confident. And just because there's an established group in Houston, that top nine, plus the midseason edition of Gerald Green, that's done such a great job helping get the Rockets to 44 and 13 
to this point. At the same time, Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright, they're not conceding anything. They're proven. They think they deserve major minutes as well. And so that's going to be the storyline to watch down the stretch of this year is who gets minutes, who doesn't, and how do they handle it. I think ultimately the Rockets are in such rarefied air in terms of the best record in the NBA, uh, how difficult everyone knows it is to actually challenge the Warriors like they are now ahead in the standings, also winners of two of three head-to-head. My guess is that ultimately these guys have been around the block enough. They get it. That's why it pays to get veterans who understand, A, how to win, but B, just how rare it is to win and get to this point because I think that's when you have the right recipe for seeing certain guys be a little more selfless even if they don't think it's necessarily fair to them. But it's going to be something to watch and certainly uh, if the Rockets go on a losing stretch at any point, we mentioned at the beginning of the show the tough eight-game stretch they have out of the All-Star break. I don't anticipate being an issue, but I would just say keep a close eye because... I can promise you there are 12 guys that think they are worthy of playing time down the stretch of this year, but there are not going to be 12 guys that play on a regular basis. Someone's going to get the short end of the stick. We don't know who that's going to be. Now, maybe injuries play a role to where uh, someone has something else, the way Ariza had his hamstring issue the last couple of weeks. And if that's the case, maybe the solution sorts itself out. But assuming no injuries, and they're certainly going to come out of the All-Star break healthy, knock on wood, assuming nothing catastrophic happens in the All-Star game to James Harden or in any of the practices coming out of it, it's going to be new, uncharted territory for Mike D'Antoni in terms of having 12 players that all want want and are probably deserving of playing time. It's a good problem to have. It's one of those problems that comes when you're 44-13 and 13 and ahead of even the Warriors for the best record in the NBA and home court throughout the NBA playoffs, but it's something that the Rockets are going to have to deal with. Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright made it clear in the comments for the game. They think they're going to play. They are confident in themselves. So I'm not going to call it a problem. If anything, if it is, it's a good problem. But it's just something to kind of keep in mind when the Rockets get back is to watch exactly how they manage this rotation, how they keep guys sharp, but more important than that, how they keep guys mentally engaged, even the ones that aren't playing, so that they are still in the right frame of mind to step in when their number is called and give the Rockets what they need to compete with the Warriors. Because even if the Rockets are ahead in the standings, let's be real, the Warriors are a more talented team, probably the most talented team in the history of the NBA. And the Rockets, they need every margin they can get. So it's going to be dicey for Mike D'Antoni. It'll be a new challenge. But folks, he's the reigning coach of the year for a reason. And he might win it again this year. Very few have ever won back-to-back coach of the year awards. So I have faith and trust in him that he'll be able to do it. But let's be real about what the situation is in what we should be watching for in the weeks ahead as the Rockets get ready to, uh, well, go on a week of rest before the All-Star break and then, of course, come out of it with that tough Friday night game home against the Minnesota Timberwolves on next Friday, the 23rd, at Toyota Center. So for now, I will break it. As always, thanks to you guys for tuning in and listening to me here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily commentary on the Houston Rockets. If you want more analysis from me on a real-time basis, the easiest way to do that is on Twitter. I am at Ben DuVos. The show is at Lockdown Rockets. Also, email LockdownRockets at gmail.com, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Rockets, or our website, LockdownRockets.com. Those are all ways to get in touch with me, questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast and program for you, the diehard Rockets fan. Also, go to our iTunes, wherever you listen to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. There are so many places where you can listen to our podcast or any other show across this great Lockdown Podcast Network. If you haven't already given us a five-star review, please do so and subscribe because those are the best ways that we can remain attractive to advertisers and remain the only daily podcast covering the daily covering the Houston Rockets and bringing this to you on a daily basis as frequently as we do. 
Once again, the happy final from Toyota Center on Wednesday evening. Rockets 100, Kings 91. Rockets now 44-13 and 13 on the year. Best record in the NBA in a position for home court advantage throughout the playoffs entering the All-Star break. Folks, enjoy it. Uh, take a few days off. And we'll be back talking this weekend when, well, it should be a very busy weekend for the Rockets in Los Angeles. We mentioned the off-court activities, but on the court, Eric Gordon, Saturday night, defending his three-point title. And then Sunday night, James Harden, of course, playing on uh, Steph Curry's team in the actual All-Star game itself. And, of course, we'll be breaking down all that happens right here on Locked on Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.